Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You're listening to the Living Writers Program. And today in the studio, um, I'm so pleased uh, to have Um Akpan here. Um, um, welcome. Welcome to Living Writers. Thank you, T. <laughs> This this isn't your um you've been on the the show like yes, a while ago yes, right when yes. you were when you were here yours is different so <laughs> exactly and we're gonna be celebrating the um we've got let's see it's really it's ex- exciting times here because um um is actually on his book tour for his first collection of short stories say you're one of them um, published by Little Brown. Um, so say you're one of them. You can go and pick up a copy of this this debut collection of short stories. A really wonderful. I just finished reading it. Um. Thank you, T. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for thank you. Thank you for being here. We're we're sort of. Um, let's see. This I should mention as well that um, this is a pre-taped show. Uh, it's June 12th, and Um's in town to read at Shaman Drum, uh, which is going to be sort of. Uh, that'll be a nice. Uh, does it feel like some sort of full circle thing reading there this evening? Yeah, yeah. I still remember um, fall 2004 when I came to Michigan to study and going there to hear people read. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many times while you were here, right? (laughs) Yes, that was my first time, so I never could have thought I would be doing it Mm. someday. And and here we are, June twelfth, two thousand eight. Yes. Only a few years down the road. Um, well, um, um, now I'll read. Uh, I'll read the your bio from uh, in the back of your your collection of short stories. Say you're one of them. Okay. Um, um Akpan was born in Ikot Akpan Ada in southern Nigeria. After studying philosophy and English at Creighton and Gonzaga Universities, he studied theology for three years at the Catholic University of Eastern Africa. He was ordained as a Jesuit priest in 2003 and received his MFA in creative writing from the University of Michigan. (laughs) In 2006. (laughs) Go blue. Um, There's a bit more here. My parents... (laughs) Okay, no laughing from me here. My parents' bedroom, a story included in this, his first collection, was one of five short stories by African writers chosen as finalists for the Kane Prize for African Writing. In 2007, Um began a teaching assignment at a seminary in Harare, Zimbabwe. Yes. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> Is all this factual? <laughs> um, even though it's a book of fiction, I hope I'm getting my facts right here. Yes, um. the bio is real. <laughs> uh, well, it's a great bio. Uh, let's see. Well, let's start. Um, so you are on this book tour, and uh, and you were just, uh, let's see, you've been in Chicago and New York, and after Ann Arbor, Ann Arbor you've got Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. on deck as well. Yes. Is that how is it um, like going around and and reading? What is what is the? And you've been. I, I also should add that um, you've, you're in many June issues of magazines ranging from O Magazine to Vogue. Um, you're just uh, the Wall Street Journal is a yeah. summer pick. Yeah. Um, you're, you're everywhere this June. Yes. Um, what what's it like? It's it's crazy. It it hasn't sunk in yet, you know. <laughs> to, to to see your to see your picture in your in your in your review in People magazine, 
And it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'm it's, still trying to trying to take it in. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe. Well, it's a fetching photo as well. <laughs> it's very, very nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you're you're on the summer summer uh, read list for multiple lists out there, and I'm I'm sure book groups. And so you're man of man of the 2008 <laughs> summer. I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right, I'll stop going on and on about it. I don't mean to. I feel like I might be embarrassing you slightly <laughs> with my exuberance. Um, uh, so, um, I also wanted, before we got started on talking about your book directly, um, well, in the book, on several stories, the World Cup of 1994 comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm wondering, are you having any time in this busy couple of weeks on tour to catch any of the European cup. Are you kidding? I've just <laughs> finished a game. Your show is depriving me of a key game. <laughs> Which one? Which one is it? I, I think it's uh, between Poland and... Uh, oh, because they played Germany earlier. Austria. Oh, yeah, so I, Austria. Watched, I watched Germany versus uh, Croatia. Yes. Yes, but I, I'm happy this to sacrifice this for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, right back at you, because yesterday yes. I was still preparing, and yes. so I sacrificed yes. Portugal, Portugal versus the oh, Czech man. Republic. So, yeah. <laughs> but how come you never come to play with the MFA team when it's I was here? What, I know. You never came. We, have a, we had a team. I, You know... Um, you're not the first person to sort of, not that you're harassing me, but to mention it. Yes. <laughs> I think it might be because I'm, I'm better suited to sitting in the pub with a pint in my hand, unfortunately. Yeah, the ladies were kicking me like mad those days. That was, would that be Charlotte and Darji? And, uh, I don't want to mention names. <laughs> <laughs> They're my friends. Right. Well, they were kicking me. Right. Oh, you mean literally? Not, yeah, oh, on the okay. field. Tackling me. Oh, well, tackling is completely fair. It's fair game. Fair game. <laughs> I on, see. On the pitch. Don't worry. I'll tackle you later on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> promises, promises. Well, um, so what was, um, what role of, have you played football all your life? Is that one of the things, like you started out as like a, a, a young, a yes, boy, a yes. young boy? Yes. Um, it's the sort of game you, you play. You begin quite young if you're going to do good in the game. Um, so, yeah, I've played since primary school, secondary school for my village team, for the seminary team. Um, so, yeah, and from time to time, I still go out there to play, though I'm very far from being in shape now. No. <laughs> Although that's that that's sport is something where... It's just constant back and forth. It must be one of the... You have to be so fit. Yeah. Yeah, watching them play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, so thanks for thanks for coming and doing taping the show, <laughs> even though you're missing um, this match. But maybe maybe we can watch some tomorrow if oh, you're in town. We shall see. Okay, we shall see how this how this conversation yes, goes, right? Yes, you get Everything, the point. Everything's on the table. Well, um, so also, before we go any further, I wanted to mention, because you... You might, and tell me if you're you're tired of talking about this, but it's in your your bio that we read. And mm-hmm. in 2003, you were ordained mm-hmm. a Jesu- Jesuit priest, mm-hmm. um, and and so uh, that seems like uh, obviously something that is is completely uh, defining uh, part of your identity. Um, 
is that true to is that true to say like the the being uh, a priest and being a writer being a jesuit priest and a writer yes being a jesuit priest and a yeah and a, mm-hmm. and a writer um because you were just in the new yorker on in the june 11th uh weekly uh mm. uh issue um and and for that it was uh, the faith it was they were doing faith and doubt mm-hmm. looked looked like the the title of the and other writers were also asked to contribute and that and in that you you're you're it was an essay so mm-hmm. it wasn't um a fictional piece it was actually an essay a nonfiction piece from That's your life true. Yeah. um called communion mm-hmm. and so <laughs> so faith and the new yorker and doubt and writing um how because the new yorker was also a, a an issue a magazine that in, in a sense has been good to you because it published your first short story in the uh, u.s in the u.s oh in the u.s yes okay nice distinction yes. where was your first short story it was published in nigeria okay it yes what was it in um what what was it in a newspaper? I'm feeling like I read. It was a realization. I I got into um, a daily newspaper and they published me uh, in their Saturday fiction uh, page. They serialized me for three months. So was the story already completed, and then they broke it into a serial yes. format? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. And you say it was a realization. Yeah. It, what it, does that mean? It, it was a serialization. They serialized oh, the. Oh, oh, I thought, but know, I thought you story. meant it was a realization when they they chose the story. Uh, you didn't say no, that. No, no, that's oh. not what I said. They oh, serialized sorry. the story. I got you know, that. Week to week. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but okay. since you are pushing in that direction, push. That's the first <laughs> time I tried fiction. You know, and and somebody liked it. I wasn't good at it, but I, the suspense was good. Uh, but I started there to, you know, to write and to learn and to teach myself until I came to Michigan. And what what were you writing before fiction then? Like, what was your... I was writing uh, articles, um, poetry. I, you know, like this kind of stuff I wrote in communion, you know, in the New Yorker, you know, recently. Um a reflection about you know myself about what I was seeing you know that sort of thing that's what I was doing and where were were those pieces being published as yes. well one was published here in Niger- in uh, the US in um, America it's a Catholic magazine in New York um, City run by Jesuits and another piece was published in uh, the UK by um, it's called Jesuit and Friends and then I published in Hekima Review in Kenya. And then I published in uh, some church newspapers in Nigeria. And um, there's another magazine out here in the U.S. whose so, name I can't remember. Yeah. So uh, quite a few publications then mm-hmm. at that time. But those were the, the nonfiction pieces, like yes. the essays that you and were doing. And the poems, yeah. Okay. And so... Um, and you were doing that while you were also going to school, like you had you for philosophy and for religion. Yeah, I was and... a seminarian while I was doing this, preparing for the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how uh, did you, do you feel like it was something that um, because it was a sort of exploratory writing by the mm-hmm. sounds of it and, and personal reflection in some ways? Was it something that um, was a necessary step to becoming? ordained as well no it wasn't uh, it's something i like to do and i did on my own mm. um 
I like writing. I like stories, and I I feel I I want to say something about places I've been to, um, situations I have experienced, my joys, my frustrations. Um, I just I I want to tell stories. I want to write. Yeah. So. Yes, and so they could be stories and essays of of your your life, like the present, writing that way, or it could be fictionalized stories. Yeah, but you have to remember when I started writing poetry and uh, articles, I did not know I could write fiction. So I only started knowing when my first um, short story was published in two thousand. But how did you make that leap? Because it's not about. I mean, failure. <laughs> Failure. Failure taught me this one. I, you know, when I finished my college degree here in the U.S., I went back to Nigeria. And my hope was I was going to get a column in a newspaper. I had published two articles in that newspaper way back in 1992-93. So I came to the U.S., I got back to Nigeria in 97, and I said, oh, I'm going to get a column. But how do you get a column in a newspaper? Yeah, how do you do that? Yeah, so I said to myself, well, I'm going to write four articles a month to the newspaper. I'll write a bunch, like four. Package them, send the package to the newspaper, hoping they'll publish them weekly. And the next month, by four months, I would have had 16 articles out there. Then I would show up and say to the editor... I am Hello. he. Hello. Give me a column. So I, I, I tried that. I read the first four articles, sent them over. I was writing the second one when I realized that they've not published any of the first ones. <laughs> right. But was that was, an, was that an integral part of your plan, though, that they started? Because I thought you just wanted them to read them and then be impressed by no, your diligence no, no. and your tenacity. I wanted I, I was dreaming they would publish them and people would make comments and like them and then right. my name would be out there. But they, you know, they, they were not publishing them, so I stopped. Uh, okay. And then I read the uh, fiction column one you know page one Saturday and I was like oh oh there's fiction here and I think I can I can do what this guy is doing I can write better than this guy that's how I was thinking mm-hmm. and uh, so I started okay. writing it took me months you know I I was able to set you know to set um, you know to set up the you know the the suspense and the tension in the story um and I took in the story on a Wednesday. The, three days later, Saturday, they published it. Oh, wow. So I, well, That's like a, a great. That, <laughs> if that's not like affirmation, I don't know what is. Okay. So I, got, I, I became very crazy, very excited and started writing like mad. Yes. Yeah. But my stories, were they were far from, you know, far from what you see now. I, before then, I had not been to any workshop. So I just, you know, learned on my, I learned on my own and did it. And then I started writing. By the time I came to Michigan, you know, you know, like four years later, I had tons and tons of stories and novels in progress. And Michigan really helped me, you know, established writers, our good teachers really sat me down and said, well, this is how you create tension, this is how you slow down, this is how characterization works, this is how you, you know, you change point of view, um, 
you are too political. You got to make it work first. The story. story. Yes. You know, let's take a break here, Um, because I want to talk about that. That is like <laughs> the hot topic, man. <laughs> but uh, you're listening to Living Writers, Um Akpan, his book, Say You're One of Them. We'll be right back. Just joining us. Welcome back. I'm T. Hetzel. Um, today on Living Writers, Um Akpan is here um, with his his book, his his first collection, Out with Little Brown. Say you're one of them. Um, that's such a great title too. It's so it's so great, and it's and it's interesting that you you um it's it's um. It's a directive from the mother in the final story of the collection, My That's Parents' right. Bedroom. That's right. Yeah, my, it wasn't the title I wanted for the book at the beginning. What so, was the original? Uh, my, my original title was Fattening for Gabon. Okay, which is a huge anchor story yeah. in the collection. Uh, they said to me they wanted something unique. And I thought fattening for your Gabon was unique enough. But they, you know, they came back and said, ah, well, uh, we don't like that title very much. We we want we would like you to pick another title, and they came out with a list of phrases from the book. Oh, and uh, I chose this, but I've come to really like this. I've come to really like this, so I'm fine. Yes, it. Is, I mean, yeah, I, I actually love it as as a title. It's it's great. You have great titles of the the stories, like luxurious hearses, like <laughs> before even reading the story, and then and then it's great because then there's a quote from the Quran there and um which is a bridge from the story before it uh what mm -hmm. language is that you know yeah. kind of coming through and um but luxurious hearses because it's chilling but weird as yeah. well so it's yeah. uh, which which doesn't let you at all on to what you're in for <laughs> but i don't mean i feel like i'm speaking abstractly here so i'll just cut that let's let's go back um to what we were saying before that that break that we took with fiction like um what does fiction allow you to do once you were like you know i can do this what does it allow you to do that the the essays the nonfiction, or the poems 
like what yeah yeah i i get your i wait i get your question um it allows me to enter into or get the reader into the shoes of the character you know without you know being doctrinaire about it uh i don't have to define anything i just have to show you know i don't have to you know say this is how people should live i have to show how they are not living well and you know in that sense you know the the picture and the vision are fused and people get a sense of this is it's, it's almost like defining something via negativa you know mm. you know this is it is not this it is not this it is not that that's the picture i'm showing you and you know people now get to say it is not right maybe for people to live like this you know there's yeah. something wrong here and you know the beauty of what could have been the grace flashes of grace you know begin to begin to show you what could have been but is not Yes, and without without sort of that maybe the the guiding hand so apparent if it was nonfiction yeah. of like that that writer's voice yeah. in there yeah. mm-hmm. saying I'm your filter, even if you're still showing it because in communion it's it it reads like a story um, because it's not as if it's uh, didactic in that you're putting all this personal reflection in it you you kind of set it up. And, yeah. and leave us with the moment with the street kids. Yeah, it's exactly how the New Yorker approached me and, you know, spoke about it. They said they wanted a snapshot of faith, a faith a moment. S- a snapshot. Yeah, a snapshot, a faith moment. Uh, it should be 700 to 800 words. Uh, and I was like, it's flattering first to be asked by the New Yorker to write something for them. You know, but it's also a cause for panic. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Why? Oh, How oh, so? <laughs> yeah. What about if I can't put it together? You know, that sort of thing. Oh, the New Yorker now. Oh. And something as huge as faith, yeah. Because you're also sort of like here I am representing Jesuit priests. You know what I mean? Like church. Yeah, the church. Church. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I said I said to my editor, the New Yorker, okay, give me one and a half weeks to see whether I can cobble something together. I'll send you the rough draft. If it works, you tell me, you know, it works, and then I will refine and, mm-hmm. you know, and work this, work on this. So I, you know, I thought about the different, you know, different moments. And then um, this came together. And I, I, I mean, they did not ask me to write fiction. They wanted me to do autobiography or, you know, biography or something real. And that's, you know, that's what I did. And had you, was that like, have you been working so much in the fictional realm that it was hard to switch gears? Or are you constantly writing in in sort of all the... uh... No, I've not written any reflection for a long time now. So when they asked me, I just... it, It wasn't a big shift for me. You know, I, you know, I remember what happened clearly and uh, I, I, you know, I wrote about it. So I, I'm very thankful to God that I was able to put it together. I, you know, when they asked me, I was 
flattered, then I, I, then I panicked, then I'm like, right. oh my goodness, can, can this work? Well, it certainly, it certainly came, it certainly came together, Um, so, so going back for a moment where, um, you were, you were saying that when you came to Michigan, you mm-hmm. had so much, you had like a great, like many starts and bodies, a novel, sto- many stories in progress. Yes. Um, and, and some of the, the people here, the established writers and, and teachers, they, um, they said fic- fiction also allows you to, to not maybe be so political. Because I, I think if I'm saying this correctly, it seemed like you said at the time, maybe one of what you were infusing the stories with uh, was a lot of the political. And, and the, they, were they all set in Africa, in different countries in Africa? Yes. Um, you know, the, the two New Yorker stories... Um, My parents' bedroom and an Xmas feast. Xmas feast, yes. Both of them are in this collection. They bookend the, the collection. Y- yes, yep. those are the stories I, I, when I applied to Michigan, I included them in the package. You know, um, they were not what you are seeing now. I, I, I have reworked, you know, them many times. In fact, an Xmas feast was rejected by the New Yorker twice before I came to Michigan. So at Michigan, I learned a lot. Some craft. Yeah, craft, craft. And um, I remember um, our teacher, Eileen Pollock. Yes. You know Eileen. Yes, I know Eileen. She was my first teacher here and very gracious to me. Um, Other teachers were gracious too, but since she was the first and really helped me, I am very indebted to her. You know, she, she introduced the class I think that semester we could bring in, you know, 60 pages or 70 pages of work twice, you know, to, you know, to class or in two installments to class. And I, I remember she was gracious enough. I ended up bringing in 100 pages because I brought a novella in that was 77 pages and I brought in a, my parents' bedroom. And I, I'm like, is it going to be like this for two years? I have lots of things how do i get these good people to read my stuff and critique and help me so i went one day to see eileen and i said to her this is my problem even if you give me four years here i would never exhaust what i have i feel i need to show them to somebody could you help me and she said yes bring in another hundred pages you know outside of class and i did um and she read this pages diligently and said to me rework this story and send it to the new yorker and it was you know an xmas feast and i was like well i'm not very sure i just want to really you know sit back these two years and work and she kept pushing so by january of 2005 i sent out you know the story after reworking you know the story and the visiting you know how the visiting writers help you look at your work? And a man from Plowshares, Don Lee, looked at my work and made suggestions. And uh, Eileen herself helped me. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember she even helped me, you know, in writing the cover letter. I had no idea how to write a cover letter. I studied philosophy in school, in college. So I thought, to submit anything, you gotta set it up like uh, you're submitting a it's something uh, a piece on logic. Yeah, yeah. So you say this is what it is, 
A, B, C, D are the reasons and summary. So that's why I, I described my story in the cover letter. And I was like, no, 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 no. no it's not done. So she, she really, she really, she really helped. She really helped me. Okay, on that note, Um, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Um Akpan, say you're one of them. We'll be back. Good afternoon. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Living Writers on WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. And today, Um Akpan, say you're one of him, them. Say you're one of him. No, say you're one of them. Are you one of them, T? <laughs> wow. I mean, now I know what that finally means after getting to my parents' bedroom. I hope I'm not one of them because it's so <laughs> chilling. But anyway, that's God. That's my second time. I, yeah, the many of these stories uh, really shook me up, Um, mm. which is good. Um, but this also is it, it makes me feel like you had definitely reasons for wanting to write these stories, and part of them were. Not just the storytelling itself, not just the nature of story, although I know you believe in that thoroughly because you've made that clear already um, this afternoon. But um, I'm wondering if there, like, it seems like there's a tension between the story itself and then the context, the context for your, your perceived readership, um, filling in, like, what uh, maybe historical background or, like, a political setting that... Uh, that maybe some of the readers have only seen glimpses of on uh, CNN or, or, you know, maybe not as they don't, maybe they've never visited an, uh, a country in Africa or, you know, this. So that tension between telling the story itself and, and giving people context, how do you balance that? If there's tension, maybe I'm just. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, <clears throat> Excuse me, even in my village where stories are told and repeated and, you know, over and over again, um, stories are told for a purpose. You understand? Yeah, whether it's to make people laugh, that's, there's something in that story that makes people laugh and it, it fulfills a function. Uh, so for me, I am not able. I'm not one of those who believes that uh, um, art has no purpose. I believe there's a purpose, you know, to art. There's a purpose to my story telling. What is the content of my story? Even when I'm exploring within myself, there's a part of me I don't even know within me, and I'm, you know, I'm searching for something. If I'm communicating with myself 
and getting myself to come to say, oh, so this is what could have happened. I feel I have communicated. And the fact that, you know, we always say in my place, a story needs hearers, an audience. Okay, mm-hmm. So for me, you know, it's communication. There's something to be communicated. Um, is it communicated well or is it not communicated well? It's a, you know, it's a, it's a different thing. And that's why my, you know, my teachers were like, you know, let's see the characters. Show us faces. Okay. What are the important moments? And when I think about it now, it's like if you go to a shallow stream and you have rocks, the rocks are not flowing with the stream. They're just stagnant. Okay. Now. They make you, it possible for there to be a stream. Yeah, but if you have like boulders, you know, in the in the in the water, they stand out of the water. Okay. But if the water, if the stream is is a, is a big body of water and it's moving, um, the boulders move along, you know, with you know the 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 current, you know, in the in the water. And I I often look back and think this is what my teachers were trying to get me to to do. So the boulders will be like the political things. You know the historical things, and because the story is larger than this polit- politics, so everything moves. the The current is able to carry the boulders, you know, along. That's how I I, I, I look I look at it. I see. Okay, mm-hmm. I think I understand what you mean um, mm-hmm. with that. Um, so so the boulders you f- you feel like they're I- important because but they're not obstacles and that they can be moved yes. by the stream yes. because some some rocks don't seem to move apparently but I mm-hmm. see I see what you're mm-hmm. what you're saying about the ones that can be carried by the force of the story and why so so that's the way you preserve the integrity of the story itself because that's the by keeping yes. the prime part on the the, the what you're telling, like the story, the yes. characters, and the 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 scenes or the moments. Yes, uh, you see, I I came to learn here that my stories need to work as stories first, before they can be a vehicle for some yes. communication. Yes, that's what I mean. They have to work as stories first, and anybody can read it and and not feel it's propaganda. You understand? So yeah, you know, I I had to learn to set the stories up in such a way that. You, anybody can get into it and know this is a family. And I come from a family. And you come from a family. And whether it's in Russia or in Alaska or in Annabelle, uh, it's a family we are dealing with. And, we, and we, we, we both love and hate our families. There are people in our families we use. There are people we are not close to. There are people we are still struggling to connect after all these years. And so whether it's street people, they have the same problem. They love each other. They also use each other. Okay. So those are the things I, I needed to do. And my teachers here were very, you know, I remember Eileen saying to me, if you just get into the politics, you are using these children. And the bigger forces of life have already used them as pawns. What are you doing joining forces with these big corporations. Why don't you let us see their faces, their humanity? Even if it's a baby, a baby has conflict. When it's hungry, when he's hungry, he cries. We, we 
takes the mother a while to get to know, okay, the child is crying because of hunger. And once the food has been given to the baby, the baby keeps quiet and is jolly, jolly again. So Island was like, you ha- we, your narrators have to have their own conflict. Because when I started writing, they were just voices n- telling these stories. You know, so I learned. And were all the voices, were the stories coming to you the way to tell them? Were they, because in this collection, say you're one of them, the the narrators are all in their children's voices, ranging from um, about seven years or six six to to 16. Yes. Yeah, 16 being the oldest in luxurious hearses, which Mm -hmm. is also the most overtly political story Mm -hmm. in the collection. Mm -hmm. So why, why the children's voices? Is that how these stories came to you or the... uh... No, I made a decision. Uh, When I started, I wasn't writing about children. I was writing about adults. And then I looked and I realized that I had not seen then, maybe there is or the... Yeah, maybe there's... I had not seen any collection of short stories that dealt with children's issues and how children were processing the conflicts. And so the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I can do this. Maybe this is what I should be trying to do and trying to set my stories in different countries. And I listed, the, you know, some of the conflicts in Africa, the things that bother me. And I thought I could, you know, work on them. Many things bother me. I, you know, I'm not able to write about them, you know, but, you know, I listed the, you know, the, the things and so if I said street children, you know, the focus now would narrow to where is this a big, big issue in Africa? And in East Africa, it's a big issue. So it had to be either Kenya or Uganda or Tanzania. So I picked Kenya. If I said um, um, uh, Christian religious, Christian Muslim conflict, Nigeria. Of course, my country, Nigeria, is boiling with that all the time. So it, I, it, I set it in Nigeria. If I said child uh, trafficking, um, there are many countries in West Africa are involved, and, and uh, even Sudan and you know, some countries in Southern Africa. But I, you know, I picked you know, Benin Republic. You know. So the stories came together gradually. I was experimenting, exploring... Um, trying to write the stories first before going to do research. That's how I, Why? I work. Why? Oh, yes. Because the story is not research. The story is the relationship between people. For me, that's what is the most important part of a story. How characters, you know, are seen and relate and feel and react. For me, that's the story. And I, I usually, okay, I, if I say... Um, street people i try to think about what street people do and how they live on the street and i come up with a story that dramatizes you know that and then i try to research you know what do they speak like so i change the dialogue you know to the patois you know the you know they speak i do the research on that I try to situate that story because if you're going to set a story in Annabelle and you invoke Annabelle, you mu- I think I think you must make it feel like Annabelle. Otherwise, <laughs> right. don't mention Annabelle. Exactly. That yeah. should be placeless. Yes. Yeah. Or you can create your city like Faulkner. Mm-hmm. Nobody will hold you to anything in that. You create your city, 
not a problem. Yes, you know, as long as it's vivid, it as long vivid. as you note your confident yes. in your yes. details yes. And, your, and your own images That's that true. come to you. That's true. But if you now said Annabelle, and you said University of Michigan, and people come to the union, that's the, you know they come to the union, and there is a big mask in your story. Anybody who goes to Michigan says, "What is this?" <laughs> Unless you are able to shape that story in such a way that people know immediately there's something you are critiquing. Because otherwise, here. they won't trust you. Yeah, they won't trust what you're saying. And and all those who went to Michigan, you know, since that place is like a shrine of the Michigan <laughs> students. <laughs> so, so I always try to do that. If I set my story in Nairobi, I try to make it as much as I can feel like Nairobi. If I set it in Rwanda, I have to go after, you know, as I'm writing or after writing, I'll go and learn something about the culture that I need to express in the story. Because so, a lot of it was, but you get the skeleton of the story with the imagination of, yes. of what the story is. But yes. then does this mean that then in one of these later parts, Um, that you actually... Um, then did you speak to children? Did you try to get the cadence, not only of their patois, but the of how children speak or so that you felt confident in the voices of the children? No, I a, remember what I, uh, how I spoke as a child. Okay, so that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that long ago. Yes, I didn't I mean re- anything by that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was nine, I was 10, I was seven, so I, I do. But what I also do is I play a lot with kids, not in those countries. Kids are the same everywhere. They ask a lot of questions. And many things we learn as kids or see or experience as kids, we have no words for them. We have no knowledge of the full reality of that until we are 16 and we're like, Oh, this is what was happening yes. now. You actually unfold that really uh, interesting and fattening for, interestingly, fattening for Gabon, uh, because you have the, 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 the main character, um, uh, uh, Kachikpa. 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 Um, <laughs> You're he, doing very well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. You're so kind, Kum. I've always known that about you. You're kind and you have an amazing laugh. Um, so the 12-year-old boy that we have as our main um, narrator, and it's in mm-hmm. first person, so we have mm-hmm. the eye voice. We're right immediately there with him. And he's got a five-year-old sister, mm-hmm. uh, Yua. And um, so, but, but we see him um, come kind of have this these flashes of greater understanding as the story progresses because he's believing everything that Mm -hmm. his uncle is telling him Mm -hmm. um and then and then he's gradually starting to realize that the pieces of this are are not really as he's saying and who can you Mm -hmm. trust and i'm not sure there's um let's see the first line of that i don't know if you know it off the top of your head um but um, could you read the first two lines, maybe, just so that people have a, a grounding in this story? <laughs> okay. I'll do anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll try to pronounce things better. <laughs> selling your child or nephew could be more difficult than selling other kids. You had to keep a calm head or be as ruthless as the Badagri semi-immigration people. If not, it could bring trouble to the family. What kept our family secret from the world in the three months Fofokui planned to sell us were his sense of humor and the struggler's instinct he had developed as an agbero, a tout, at the border. Thank you, Um. um you're listening to Living Writers. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. I'm T. Hetzel. This is Living Writers. Today, Uum Akpan and his collection, Say You're One of Them. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Um, I'm so glad that um, you're here today, Um Thanks for <laughs> thanks again for coming, being on the program. It's a wonderful way to hang out. <laughs> With everybody eavesdropping. <laughs> well, you're a busy man. I know. You should have taken me out to dinner, to lunch, to we, celebrate. That's true. Yeah. This is some celebration. I'm still making you work, right? Like, this is still, hopefully not. Hopefully it's not too much like work. But um, anyway, um, so, so we've been talking um about um uh, in the collection the narrators and the voices um mostly first person um and one story told in second person with the you um but all all uh, like children's voices young young voices and um was that symbolic in a way like did you also want because there's so many things that you're showing us in the stories that are still honestly sinking in because like, mm-hmm. i know it'll be uh, there'll be stories that i'm mulling over for quite some time, mm-hmm. um, of course. Um, but there, there's sometimes it feels like there are moments in the story where they could be seen as hopeless. Like when um, mm-hmm. the in the final story, when the father, uh, well, I don't want to give things away if people haven't. It seems like there's no return. Like people who love one another are even killing each other because of their allegiances. And um, or or in Nigeria, uh, your your home country, with the the north and south, there being such a division um, because historically the country was um, created just borders drawn around it by Britain. And so, um, the Muslim people and the Christians of the South Southern Delta having to coexist. And, um, so, so there's all these, uh, uh, these, these conflicts. And so there can be these moments where you think, how will anything ever be changed? How, you know, and so were the children's voices to give them power, as you've mentioned, but also as an idea that they're, there could these these children also have the power to make some changes yes um in the church we learn or we should be learning to celebrate life and every life is worth celebrating and so these children who are suffering so much i felt um somebody has to let us see them that they exist, and celebrate their voices. Um, and sometimes when I was very, you know, I got sad writing these stories, staying within, you know, these characters for a long time, and, you know, you, I run away, I get back to it, uh, or get back to them. Um, you know, you, you, want to, you want to celebrate these children. And I was constantly praying to God, Lord, don't let Uwemakman, who is trying to tell the stories of these children, you know, suffer more than the children who are living in these situations. And the children, you know, they still laugh, they still, you know, they play, they 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 take it easy, you know, they, <laughs> they, they exist. Even the street people, the poor people, you know, we see, you know, they they have a tremendous sense of humor, you know. Um, so I had to learn not, not to let this crush, you know, let this crush me, but to tell their stories and celebrate them. For example, the story about Nigeria, 
People don't normally know that there are many Muslims who got killed trying to save Christians. So I, I needed to celebrate that. And that there are many Christians who got killed by fellow Christians for hiding, protecting the Muslims. That's not what we hear in Nigeria, and that's not what we hear in the world, you know, out there. And yet this is a big part of the Christian mystery, that one man gave up his life for the rest of the people. And many people are still doing that today in the world. Um, and you cannot... And those really, are miracles. Yes. And you cannot really get to these transcendent moments until people know the risk involved. That's, you know, where you see the moments of hopelessness. You know, this is part of life. People die. People kill. You know, uh, when I was writing... Um, luxurious hearses? Uh, no, not mm-hmm. luxurious hearses. Fattening for Gabon. Oh, yeah. I, you know, part of it was written here in Michigan. And many times I'll just give up and say, I, I, I don't know where to go with this. And then I realized that people were being shipped into the U.S. in containers, containers from Mexico. You know, people trafficking, you know, here. And then some summers ago, it was like everywhere I turned, some man had kidnapped a young girl and raped and killed and and parents, you know, on the TV, parents crying, looking for their... And there was an incident where the girl was trapped somewhere in the basement for a long time. And finally, she was able to, I think, text the parents and they rescued her. You know, I wonder how, what would be the story of that girl in that basement, the fears and the everything. Um, so each time I saw this in the news, and even to know that in East, Eastern Europe, there's a lot of child trafficking and, you know, um, girls, even mothers being tricked that they're coming to Western Europe to, to work, to work, to work but, but no. they're going to the brothel. Yes. You know? Or even, you know, the thing about, uh, you know, I, um, what's the name? I've forgotten the name. But many people from the West would go to these underdeveloped countries to sleep with children. Oh, dear. You know, yeah. it's oh. like tourism. So, they, you know, these things happen. They go. And everywhere. You're and saying, everywhere. like, this is in yeah. all parts of the world. Yeah. But when you were writing, Um, were you, what was your, your audience that you wanted to write for? Because it doesn't seem like... Necessary. It was was it um, like a Western audience? Was it like the United States, like or the Americas and Europe? And was it? Were you trying to uh, say something about even though it happens everywhere in the world, which is what you're you're saying now? Yes, um, there is some. I, I know what you. I know what you're asking. There's something someone said some time back. The scandal of the particular. You cannot. You know, like Christ came. He had to be either a man or a woman. He had to be in a particular place and be given birth to by a particular woman. And it happened to be the Middle East. And he came in. That's the scandal of the particular. Up to this day, up to this day, some women are saying we are excluded from, you know, at least the Catholic Church, we can't be priests. You know, Christ was a man. Christ was, uh, was not a black man. And so you see the struggle, but it has to be particular. When you're dealing with art, and a story. A story. A story is to set. To make it live. Yes. It's set in a particular place. I, I would not feel good beginning 
my writing my stories in a, in a, say in the US writing about um, Caucasian people I want to write first about not really the people of my village because I have no story here about my village but Africa that's you know where I you know I feel I should say something about later on I might write about children in Asia if I am able to do it you still know. children, though. It could thinking. be adults. And adults, okay. Anybody, yeah. if, Anyone, I, if I can example. do it. Right. Yeah, if I can do it. That's my this thing now. If I can do it, I'll do it. If I cannot do it and be satisfied, it can be done, then I don't, I don't get into it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. Well, good. Because that's because you're a writer, because you believe in, in the... The, I don't know why I keep saying that. I'm like waving my fist around here. Um, uh, in the afterward um, of the book, um, the Most Reverend Camillus uh, Ectokudo. Yes, that's my bishop. Um, he he's played important parts in your in 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 your life uh, and you and his. It seems um, he writes. I began to sense that there was no way this Ikat Akpan Ada man could be a priest without using the common man's language to probe the terrain within which modern Africans are living out their faith. Um, so that's what he sees as part of like almost a mission of, mm-hmm. of the work and why you're, you're choosing what you know is, as and Africa is, is mm-hmm. part of the mission. So what, um, when, with writing the book, um, what, what can Western uh, readers or listeners uh, w- what what would you like them to take from it? Or what can they do? Yes. Um, first of all, I still run into a tremendous amount of Africans, really, people. You know, I still run into that perception out here. And people, you know, the issues of racism and how could Rwanda have gone through this? You know, nobody remembers Kosovo went through this. Not so uh, long ago. Yes, yes. Um, I still get into... And even people are asking in this country, people still can't believe what happened in New Orleans happened, Katrina, that Americans in that situation lost their civilization and people were just in the wild struggling to survive. If your country suffers like this every day, you've got your back pressed against the wall, the wall and it's all survival and people... Most people act like animals, you know, and try to do everything to get that bread for the child or to put their own child on that bus from New Orleans to Houston or, you know, or whatever. Um, So it's good to see that these, you know, these are people. These are, you know, stories about people and families. And instructor, you know, it touches me because many people have come to me here in Annaba after reading say an Xmas feast and said to me I I you know this was my it's like you're talking about my family how we relate not necessarily the glue sniffing but how we relate in our family and we this one is this one's friend this one is that one's friend that's the sort of thing I'm interested in you know or some Christian saying to me I never knew Muslims any Muslim could protect a Christian and be ready to be killed. And a Muslim saying, are you sure Christians can really, would anybody there would protect us? These are the kinds of things that give me some, you know, courage, you know. Um, so first of all, you know, that we enter into these stories and we think about our lives. Even here in Annabelle, if these stories allow you to go and hug your mom, 
or your dad or your child and make peace. Fam you know, everywhere family is in a crisis, you know. And young mothers are worried what kind of, what will happen to our sons and daughters. You know, they fret all the time. And you've, you have all these people who got into the prison with, uh, you know, for sexual crimes. And they're coming out now. And you have internet sites that tell you where they live in your neighborhood to protect you. So the fear is there. You so know. much fear. Yes, there's fear. And things do happen. And there's uh, moments of transcendence. There is. And, and, that is and they the, can change us. Yes. Like Jubril was changed yes. by the man yes. who helped him. So if this book makes you hug your daughter more and make peace and forgiveness and saying, whatever happens, you are my child. And people, you know, children begin to feel love. It surprises me that in the U.S., a lot of children commit suicide. And there is abundance in this culture. Things actually work. But in my continent, where things don't work, child suicide is not common. So there's something, you know, to this about we have all this, but we don't have love. Okay. So that's one thing. Another thing for me would be, you know, what can we do to the wor for the world out there? Um, can we put pressure on the UN or the world institutions to stop people from taking money from Africa and putting this in banks in the West and making the, the West richer. Uh, you know, these, these AK-47 AK rifles are not made in Africa for the most part. Somebody oh. is oh. over. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm, I wish it weren't over. You have to come back. We have more to okay. talk about. You've been listening okay. to Living Writers today. Right. Um, Akpan. Thank you very um, much. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next yes. time. Thank you. C'était un gars loyal, honnête et droit Il faut croire que c'est la société Qui m'a définitivement abîmé Bonnie and Clyde On n'a pas écrit sur elle et moi On prétend que nous tuons de sang-froid C'est pas drôle mais on est bien obligé De faire taire celui qui se met à gueuler Bonnie and This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, July 23rd, 2008. From Eugene, Oregon, I'm Jess Burns in for Oro Bogato. In today's program, instead of demanding privacy protections for U.S. citizens, lawmakers encourage more domestic surveillance. Tensions between Russia and Georgia are mounting. FSRN travels to the border between the two to get a sense of the feeling on the ground. And we hear the first in a two-part series about how corporations exploit indigenous lands in the United States and Canada.
All this and more. But first, these news headlines. I'm Shannon Young with the headlines. The U.S. Coast Guard has closed off 29 miles of the Mississippi River at New Orleans after a collision between a barge and a tanker spilled more than 400,000 gallons of heavy fuel oil into the river. The force of the crash caused the barge to break in half and lose its cargo. The tanker, laden with millions of gallons of biodiesel and just over a million gallons of vinyl benzene, sustained only minor damage. At airtime, the oil spill had extended more than 12 miles down the Mississippi River, and residents of the West Bank of New Orleans had been advised to conserve water. The city depends on the Mississippi River for its municipal water supply, and the intake valves for the section below the spill have been closed. In other news, the Washington Post is reporting that political appointees at the Department of Labor are seeking to push through changes to rules regarding workplace exposure to toxins and chemicals. The Department of Labor allegedly failed to comply with its own standard procedure of making the proposed rule change public information in its last semi-annual report. The timing of the proposed rule change has made some government watchdogs suspicious. The Department of Labor has only made one major rule change regarding workplace chemical exposure 